Ladies and gentlemen, pay attention. This is your boy, the coach from the WWE. I would like to welcome you to the very first wrestling podcast in the world to take you on a weekly deep dive in the classic matches along with legends of the squared circle. Enjoy the discussion. Enjoy the back and forth. There's so much to get into. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the payoff. It's Super Brawl 4. It's Thunder Cage. As always, this is Tom Healy, and I am joined by my co-host, Jeffrey Ryan. Jeff, are you ready for Thunder Cage? Boy, the year is coming to a close, so why not focus on just a crazy cage match for our last show of the year? So uh, this will be a fun one. We got a lot of big names in this match, and I'm super excited to discuss them and their careers and all that stuff. So I um, have a great guest as well, too. So uh, as always, don't forget, subscribe to The Payoff. Give us those five stars. Spread the word about the show. You can always find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just at Payoff Pod. So Tom... You know, we got all these good things happening. Um, you know, what do you want to share with our listeners? Well, just thanks for a great year, man. We uh, this is this is our last show of 2019 because we're we're taking the holidays off, and we hope you relax too, and maybe even put down the WWE Network and spend some time with your family. But uh, yeah, this is it for us. So, uh, thank you for an awesome year. The year of the July. We started back in July. It feels like years ago, man. I know. It really does. Let's so we did, you know, StarCast. We launched the show. We did a live show. We've done interviews with some great people. We've covered some crazy matches. It's been it's been a wild year, man. I went to an AEW show. Like you're overdue. You need to get to a show, but that's all right. Well, we're going to WrestleMania. We got a big one on the calendar, so that's all right. We will be in Tampa. That's right. I think that's my next big wrestling show, man. You and me both. That's right. That'll be good stuff. So it's been a great year. Thank you to everyone for listening, for spreading the word, for hanging out with us on social media. It it really does mean a lot to us. We've had a blast. Uh, We'll finish the year strong today, and then we'll, uh, we'll hit 2020 hard with some awesome episodes. Absolutely. And thanks for showing off those koozies too. Fans love the koozies that that got them from us. So we appreciate those fans that uh, uh, send that stuff with us. So always good stuff. So, um, but of course, you know, we've been around, like we said, but of course that quick refresher, just for anybody that might need it, we give you that deep dive into a match every Monday and each episode as always has those three parts, the build, the payoff, the aftermath. We talk about what happened before the match. We talk about the match or just career, uh, you know, you know, some individual, you know, the guests, the superstars in the match, whatever it might be, just kind of, you know, what's happening there. And then of course that aftermath, what happened after the fact, we got a few reviews today as always. And then a few write-ups, just kind of what the uh, experts were saying, the dirt sheets, if you will. And Tom and I share our score, that payoff score. We love giving that to you guys. So uh, good stuff with that. But Tom, uh, let's jump right into how come you, wanted to talk about this match so some of these episodes and some of these matches i could do them in my sleep right like i remember everything about the match the build the payoff you know the aftermath everything and there's other ones i'm like wait those six guys got into some crazy cage contraption in 1994 
that's one of these episodes. So this was like, let me start from scratch. I've never seen the match. Um, I obviously don't remember it ever taking place. So we're going to take this all in for the first time. We're going to do all this research. Oh, and then we're going to watch the match with, you know, one of the sons of the legends in the match. So pretty cool, man. I'm excited for this one. Uh, What interested you about this one, man? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat, of course, you know, didn't really didn't know about this match at all um, until you and I had kind of talked about it a little bit. And, of course, knew the the careers of some of the superstars we're going to be talking about and legends we're going to be talking about. But um, as I was doing my research, it was was very interesting to me. And this is, of course, before the, the weekly nitros and all that other stuff. But um, there's there's a lot of weird connecting storylines here um, that. Uh, just made this one fun for me. And so uh, kind of exciting to kind of talk about that a little bit. And just, we've got so many individuals involved in this one that we got a lot to cover. And so uh, with that being said, let's get to the build. Oh, it's time for the build. All right, here we are. Super brawl four, February 20th, 1994. Jeff, this one takes place in Albany, Georgia. You ever been to Albany, Georgia before? Not Albany, Georgia, that's for sure. Have you ever heard of Albany, Georgia before? Nope, because when I was first reading this one, I definitely thought we were in New York, and we were not in New York. No, we're, we're in the South, baby. So in Albany, Georgia, there's a civic center. And this civic center apparently holds up to 9,000 people for pro wrestling. So this is great, right? The attendance, I've seen some different figures, anywhere from like seven to 9,000. But here's the beautiful thing about this. They did a TV taping a few years earlier at the Albany Civic Center, okay? They get 500 people, like max, maybe less than 500 in the building for this TV taping. So they say, all right, we're having Super Brawl 4, all right? It's a pay-per-view. Maybe we do a little better. But they block off most of the seats in the arena, They end up selling 2,500 tickets. So again, they're going to all put them like facing the camera and put them on that side. But apparently they had some like free ticket offer or some promotion or something, but they weren't sure how many people were going to sign up or show up for this free ticket thing. Well, guess what happens? Like thousands of people show off. So before the show, they're frantically pulling tarps off of seats and they end up filling this building. Now, only 2,500 were paid, but there's almost 9,000 people in the Albany Civic Center for this show. So I thought that was kind of fun. I, now, I, I got it was tickets for guns and I will talk about it later. Okay, okay, so you know about this. Good. I, I, got, I got you covered later. We will talk about it in the aftermath. Don't you worry. Excellent. All right. So on this show, and here's a fun fact, Harlem Heat beat Thunder and Lightning. Now, did you know when Harlem and Heat came into WCW, they were originally called Cole, as in K-O-L-E, and Kane spelled the way you think it is. So Booker was Cole, and then his brother was Kane. Did you know this? I did not know this. Okay, I, I had no idea. Now, (laughs) they originally were supposed to have this whole gimmick with Colonel Rob Parker where they would come to the ring and wrist and foot shackles. Um, Fortunately, this was dropped, but 
yeah, Harlem Heat, kind of an interesting uh, way that they were originally debuted in their names and uh, interesting. So they win their tag match, okay? Next match on the show, Jim Steele defeating the Equalizer. Of the 94 run that the Equalizer had in WCW, what was your favorite match with him in it? Oh, just so many to pick from. It's All right, just, I, won't, I won't put you on the spot. That wasn't this, one, this one's probably top 25. Okay, well, they, that was a six-minute match with Jim Steele and the Equalizer. <laughs> Terry Taylor defeating DDP with the Diamond Doll. Uh, Johnny B. Bad defeating Jimmy Garvin, who was accompanied by Michael Hayes. Now, here's an interesting one. Lord Steven Regal defeats Arn Anderson in a 29-minute and 54-second match. Look, I have all the respect in the world for both these guys, but the, the idea of them working a 30-minute match, man, whew, I don't know. Then we had Cactus Jack and Max Payne defeating the Nasty Boys by DQ. That was a WCW tag title match. Uh, and then the reason we're here for this show, double Thunder Cage main events. First, the match we're going to talk about, Sting, Pillman, and Dustin Rhodes defeating Steve Austin, Rick Rude, and Paul Warndorf. And then the main event of the show would be Ric Flair defeating Vader by submission. And that was a WCW World Heavyweight Championship match. Interestingly enough, the boss, otherwise known as the big boss man, uh, was a special guest referee for that. So, fun show. Good stuff. A lot happening there, yeah. Yeah, very busy. Some interesting stories in the business. First of all, we had Sting on the Arsenio Hall show. Only problem is the PR leading up to the show was referring to him as the current WWF heavyweight champion. Not only was he not a WWF wrestler, he was not a heavyweight champion in any promotion. So that was interesting. Also, we had Ric Flair on the Larry King show. Uh, Larry King asking him if wrestling had predetermined outcomes and flair living the gimmick says that they were not known ahead of time. And even though the wrestlers didn't always get hurt, they were trying to inflict pain on each other to win the match. So it's just interesting how far wrestling's come that, I mean, 25 years ago, man, this thing was real. It was a shoot. It was a sport. And now, I mean, Literally, you know everything that occurs behind the scenes. You have shows produced by the main companies talking about what happens behind the scene, but then they still present it as real. I don't know. It's just, it's just bizarre. And I, I, just, I miss the good old days where you could at least suspend some disbelief. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. We, we've talked about it a few times. But yeah, just the whole... You can't go online without seeing something that just kind of wrecks it and so you know it, it's difficult and even like yeah you know times in walt disneyland for a few days and like the suspension of disbelief like and the behind the curtain like there's some things that you just you don't know and i and i wish that there was more of that nowadays it's tough but yeah it's just the world we live in now so so what you're telling us is disneyland kayfabe is still alive it's still real to me damn it like <laughs> yep <laughs> how was uh mickey and minnie that I didn't ask them uh, who their favorite wrestler was, but I'm sure it was great. So, but yeah, it was a good time. So Vince McMahon is on the WWF radio station. They had this short-lived radio program. Jim Ross, it was like he brought it in. He was going to blow it up. And yeah, so I, I, 
I never understood how you listen to wrestling on the radio. Like that would be fun if we could find it. Maybe it's on the internet or something, but I would love to listen to the radio broadcast of a wrestling event. Cause they had like some like, yeah. Oh, and we know, uh, you know, uh, there are the radio dramas. There's those types of things out there, of course. And so, but no, I want to hear, like, I want to hear them like calling it Oh, And now, uh, you know, Hogan has uh, Jake, the snake at a headlock and uh, really seems to be laying it in. What do you think, Jim? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, maybe, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a market for that one day. Maybe we should do something like that. We got to find it. So Vince is on WWF radio and Jim Ross asks him, he said, Hey, is Hulk Hogan going to go to WCW in typical Vince McMahon fashion? He's like, no, I don't know why he would go to the minor leagues, but I don't know. Perhaps he could better compete down there with those types of guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just love how there's literally been a four decade long love hate relationship with Hogan and Vince. Yep. Just unbelievable. Um, also going on at the time, we had Randy Savage in his final WWF days. He's, you know, getting ready to call it quits. Um, he had a program with Yokozuna. And man, I just, ugh, I hate seeing how bad they used him at the time, man. It was the Yokozuna feud where he tried to pin Yokozuna and he lost a Royal Rumble because of it. And then he did a terrible Falls Count Anywhere match with Crush and just broke my heart, man. It was like the worst stuff he ever did was right at the end. The only bad Randy Savage stuff in the WWF. Um, also, you know, and, and hard to believe there was a false report in one of the dirt sheets, but Wade Keller was reporting that Paul Heyman was leaving Eastern Championship Wrestling after the March, March 5th arena show. Well, not only did that not happen, but it became ECW's in Extreme Championship Wrestling. And, oh, I don't know, they had a, you know, long run there. So, um, also, Jeff, this is another great one I came across in my research. The same week as this show takes place, Jim Cornette, was in trouble for a horrible remark that he made on commentary about someone in the crowd. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Here we are, oh, I don't know what, 25 years later, and his mouth is still getting himself in trouble. On commentary, during a wrestling show. Like, you know, past his prologue or whatever it is, like, geez. Oh, my goodness. It's just exhausting, you know? Um, And then the last thing, Jeff... Marty Jannetty got in trouble on a European tour. Do you think he ever worked an entire European tour without getting sent home early? <laughs> did he ever I feel like, did he ever work any tour and not have some kind of issue? But I, yeah. I just, I just, I, I don't know, man. It's like these uh, European tours, what the hell goes on there? Cause like, you know, I think of like people like getting in trouble and maybe getting a little loose and drinking and doing drugs and all that stuff. I don't know. Like in the Bahamas or Mexico, not, London. <laughs> there it is. But these, these yep. European tours, man, they got crazy. So that's all I have for the show and for what was going on in the business. How did we get to Thunder Cage and this six man tag? I, I, I just have a feeling this is going to be really good. Yeah, it's all over the board. <laughs> um, and so I'll start with like, you know, we, we keep saying this is a Thunder Cage match. So what is a Thunder Cage match? Uh, WCW, they really borrowed the idea from the movie Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. This is the, uh, for those uninformed, this is the uh, 1985 cinematic classic uh, starring Mel Gibson. And it was the third Mad Max movie at the time. Um, 
the Thunderdome in the movie is what, you know, probably a lot of you are picturing, you know, wherever you're at kind of listening to this. And, and while it didn't have a, like a, a ring uh, in the movie, as you might expect, uh, it really was just this dome-shaped cage in which people fought to the death. Um, and while no fighting to the death occurred here, WCW used pretty much the same de- design and just, you know, they took the four-sided steel cage and just put a domed roof on top of it so that people couldn't escape. Now, going by the rules uh, that I could find, there's no count out or disqualification in a Thunder Cage match, and it's only standard pinfall or submissions were allowed. Now, in my kind of research, there's some variations here, and I'm sure there's some other ones too. Uh, of course, you had Triple A's, it was the uh, Domo de la Muerte of the Dome of. Wow, Death. that was good. Thank you. I know. Uh, I probably didn't say it right, so I apologize. But yes, the Dome of Death. Uh, in that one, and I, I feel like I've seen some clips of it before, but in this one, uh, it, you can get victory by escaping through a hole that was in the top center of the dome. Uh, TNA called it the Terror Dome. And the other one of the other variations on this, and there was, like I said, there was a few here. Uh, one of the was the, we have the Thunder Cage, which we're talking about, which there was the Thunder Dome not Thunder Cage, uh, where parts of the structure were actually electrified. So, um, yeah, I'm sure that was safe and real and all that good stuff. So, um, I, in my research, and many of you probably remember the, uh, we'll just call it awful 1991 Halloween Havoc and the Chamber of Horror stipulation. Um, this was a Thunder Cage, well, I'm just going to say it. There, there was the Thunder Cage, but there was an electric chair in the middle of the ring someone got quote electrocuted it was it was just an odd time in wrestling so yeah i would highly recommend not going back and watching that one so uh but it's out there some kind of but so the thunder cage is one that uh used sparingly and i can understand why so that's in regards to the match itself so we had a few storylines that played into this match, and we'll start with uh, Brian Pillman and Steve Austin. Of course, uh, Brian Pillman, father of Brian Pillman Jr., who we're going to be talking to in a little bit here. But then Steve Austin, the one and only, uh, not yet quite stone cold, but Steve Austin. Uh, around this time, uh, they were still uh, what was called the Hollywood Blondes. Uh, tag champs on and off, kind of had some on and off breakups as well, too, between the two of them. But um, they had recently lost the tag team championships at class of champions 24 that's xxiv so class of champions uh 24 um it was kind of weird though because when i was kind of looking into it pillman uh, was injured and so as we've talked about a little bit here steven regal actually kind of had to fill in on this one with austin and there was some some interesting things with the tapings and it was just it was just odd but they had lost the belt on this one and so uh, how we got to the point though that these guys ended up on opposite teams though uh this was october 30th of 1993 it was the episode of uh saturday night uh the blondes had defeated pretty much a, a jobber tag team and then colonel rob parker who was at the time and we talked about a little bit earlier uh he had just become one of austin's new manager or just become austin's new manager um, he came to ringside and he congratulated austin but not pillman after they won the match 
So, of course, Pillman took exception to this, and then they ended up where Pillman attacked Parker because they exchanged some words, which in turn led to Austin turning and attacking Pillman. So, you now have Pillman going face, Austin being the heel, and this led to the, I say, final uh, breakup of the Hollywood Blondes. Sting had been feuding, and Sting at this point, and this was pre uh, black and white, uh, you know, Sting coming down from the rafters. Um, he had been feuding the first commonly part of known as Surfer Sting. Surfer Sting, thank you. Yes, uh, Sting had been feuding with Rick Rude uh, throughout the first part of 1994. Um, also, a little bit with Rick Flair. Vader. He had a couple different feuds going, but uh, the opposites on this one on the team, you had Sting and Rude on opposites for this one. So the weird, again, just a lot of weird kind of connecting points here in the web, but it all comes together. Um, Orndorf had actually tagged with Austin a little bit during one of the times when him and uh, Pillman were not the Hollywood Blondes. And so it didn't have like a huge connection to anyone else in the match from, from what I could find, but um, that is why he ended up on that team. And so also, and then the last piece of this, Dustin Rhodes, of course, is at this point pre-Gold Dust, which we'll talk about later. Um, he had also been feuding with Rude for a little bit, and then he actually won the U.S. excuse me U.S. Heavyweight Championship from Rude. And so we've got all these kind of like weird pieces. There wasn't some big long faction. There wasn't some, you know, kind of clear cut why this was happening. This wasn't a long. Um, you know, drawn out six month, you know, multiple pay-per-views. Like some of these guys weren't even on the last couple of cards or, you know, pay-per-views or large events, if you will. Um, but I, it worked. And so you have these guys all come together and have these different teams. So just a lot of weird intersecting pieces, but it gets us here and it gets us to the match. And that's the important thing. Jeff, from everything that you shared, it seems like there's only one way to settle all of this. How, how is that, Tom? Put him in a thunder cage. But, uh, three on three. Do? I, I, I don't know what else you would do. I mean, that's, it, this seems like the logical thing to do. It predates Hell in a Cell. So by, by only by three years. Oh, that, oh, here's what's crazy. We'd go back and watch this match, and if I told you that the, hell, the first Hell in a Cell took place three years later, you'd think it took place 15 years later, like the production quality, the cage, the style. I mean, it's amazing how much wrestling changed from like shit, like 95 to 97. I mean, it's just drastically different. I mean, at this point, you know, you go back and watch this match, you figure ECW's Eastern Championship Wrestling, like this is what you're getting with WCW. WWF's got, you know, a garbage man and an accountant wrestling against each other. Three years later, you've got, you know, the hell in the cell and the attitude era. It's crazy how much things change. I was reading, because uh, I was going to do my research, the, it was one of these, it was on Bleacher Report, like the, the best and worst steel cage matches. And you kind of forget, like, how many different types of these these are, like, how many different types of these there were. The, the best one, they said, was War Games, which I could see that. I think that's pretty good. Um kind of having that type of setup and it's the worst the kennel in a cell match where they had the yeah it it, it absolutely was so um 
for those, yeah, this was the um, was Al Snow. And it's Al, Al Snow, and the big boss big man. Boss man. Yeah. You know we're gonna have we're gonna have Al Snow on to talk about that match. That is oh boy. That's, that's we, already that's already been discussed with him. He said he would do it. We talked to him, so yes. yeah, that, that that's one. So a little, little spoiler there for listening, heading into the new year or someone we may have. But yeah, You thought, that, you thought 2019 was good. Just wait. That one is on there. The other one uh, is they labeled it awesome and awful was that Chamber of Horrors match. And so uh, they gave that one kind of both sides of that. Um, and so that was interesting. And then they, they actually had the, um, the elimination chambers, one of the better ones. I do not like that pay-per-view, but you know, but then they also, they labeled the, uh, Thunderdome Thunder cage is both awesome and awful. So, okay, sure. We'll take it. I mean, most of pro wrestling is both awesome and awful. <laughs> yeah. You and I, I always enjoy sharing that pure that, yeah, that triangle with you of like, I get excited. I lose hope. I get excited. And it just keeps going around and around. Like I build my hopes up and then I get depressed again. So exactly. Yeah, that's, that's being a wrestling fan. All right. So we're going to watch this match with Pillman Jr. If you want to watch this match, it starts at 208 on the dot. Super Brawl 94 on the WWE Network. Again, 208, Super Brawl 94. That was the build, and now it's time for the payoff. Oh, it's time for the payoff. All right, we're here. Thunder Cage. It's Super Brawl 94. We've got your father, Sting, Dustin Rhodes against Steve Austin, Rick Rude, and Paul Orndorff. Have you seen this match before? If it's, yeah, I, I want to say I have. Yeah, I want to say I remember the, I remember the brace, the red brace and the orange tights on Sting. This is nuts, and I love, love, love Rick Root. <laughs> Rick Root, I, I think he is arguably the most underrated in the history of the business. At least, yeah. at least during my time watching over. But you know, that's that's just kind of the, the the bane of being a heel. You know, you don't nobody wants to say that you know they were the greatest, right? Because they're the bad guys. So yeah. Well, and it was tough, too, because in this era, especially in the WWF, yeah, they didn't give heels the title. So a guy like Rick Rude, I mean, today he would have been a champion. There's no question. But at that time, the title didn't move around that much, and it rarely ever went on a heel. Yeah. So this is, this is Thunder Cage. This is a, a, quite the structure here. Six-man tag, one, one guy from each team in at the same time. So let's let's talk Steve Austin for a minute here. They're obviously on opposing teams at the time. Uh, have you met Steve before? Have you talked to him before? Have you talked about you know to him about your uh, relationship with uh, you and his father? Yeah, I met Steve when I was younger, but uh, I have yet to meet him in my adult years. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, did the podcast with him? Maybe next time I'm out in LA, I'll, I'll get a chance to meet him. So that would be some good stuff too. Um, but overall, super very very nice guy. Always picks up the phone when I call always there for me to give me advice well he's a he's a good he's a good yeah he's a good person to have in in your corner as far as a mentor in the business uh so what did you think of him and uh your dad is the hollywood blondes oh i thought it was broken up way too soon i thought it was absolutely money um but you know that's that's how wrestling works you know you don't always get to choose where you go with what you're doing, you know, a, a lot of times the promotions and stuff have control over that stuff. But as far as I'm concerned, I think looking back on it, people are like, Oh man, that was money. That was gold. And, and those guys were so good together, but maybe like 
during the time or maybe like in the moment they didn't think it was a good idea. But obviously looking back in hindsight, we can hindsight's 2020. We can always say, oh, they could have been the best tag team of all time, you know, stuff like that. But hey, I mean, they were two of what are considered some of the greatest performers in this business. So who knows how far they could have went as a tag team and who knows if they would have tagged later on in the WWF, you know, had had, had my father's career uh, prolonged itself and had had Steve's career. Uh, not been shortcutted too. Well, and that's the crazy thing is you you, you think of them as being like a, a great tag team. Oh, they must have been together three, four, five years. I mean, they were barely together, but that's just it's a testament to how entertaining they were together in that limited amount of time. Yeah, and then the way wrestling was uh the way wrestling was at that time was perfect for them, you know, like just the the style of wrestling really complemented their characters. And here we have Steve with the, you know, the, the fake cell here, uh, the heel, the heel antics, the Hollywood, you know, the Hollywood blondes gets to the ropes, right? Oh. When the, the, the thing about him too, is it's just, he's one of those guys. There's a, there's a couple of them out there where it's, it's fun watching him at this stage. Cause he's this, you know, ring technician. He's, he's flying all around. I mean, he's just a completely different guy than what became stone cold Steve Austin later in his career. Oh yeah, yeah. Just I mean, but that's the thing, you know. Just su- su- such a good worker, you know. Ha- has also had a wide range of talents. Um, eventually became a very, very good promo, and you know. And just since we're on the topic of my dad, Steve, you know, definitely credits my dad for uh, showing him, you know, promos early on and really upping his promo game. Oh, and here's my dad turning turning on Steve right there. Went and chopped him. So there's a book out about your dad. It's called Crazy Like a Fox. Did you read it? Is it legitimate? Is it accurate? You know, what 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 was your impression of it? Yeah, apparently the book's really good, according to a lot of wrestling experts. Because obviously, you know, having not not been, uh, you know, not been uh, in this business for so long, you know, having grown up without watching most of the wrestling, uh, I had a lot of learning to do. But uh, that book was a very good very good history lesson on the business at that time and it doesn't just talk about my dad's life it talks a lot about the booking decisions that were made surrounding him and you get a really good insight into things and a lot of the guys that were interviewed for it you know some really high level people you know uh kevin sullivan rip rogers dave Meltzer, uh ricky morton all those guys that contributed to this book and uh were interviewed for it uh at the time uh they say all claim that it's very well written and true i think steve Steve Austin read the whole thing. He said only one thing was inconsistent was uh, it said something about Steve not wanting to get in with the blondes and not wanting to tag with my dad. Like he thought he was going to be a single star, but uh, Steve Austin uh, maintains that that was not the case. And at the time he was still kind of uh, a young boy and wanted to do whatever was told of him. You know, he didn't, he wasn't trying to get out of anything basically. So what did you think of that, the, the quote unquote famous gun angle with him and uh, Austin? I mean, have you, I mean, I'm assuming you've gone back and watched it. What did you think of it? Uh, well, you know, that's, like, they always ask me that, but it was pretty crazy. Uh, very controversial. <laughs> it was at yeah. my house. I was there. So. Oh, you were there for it? Yeah. As a kid, I was. I mean, do you have any, do you remember like, Hey, there's something going on downstairs, stay upstairs. I mean, do you, do you remember anything about them being over there and shooting? Oh yeah. Us? Yeah. We had to be told to, uh, to go upstairs or whatever. Oh, that's wild. I, I didn't know that. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, look, it probably doesn't hold up well. It's probably not something that you would do today. 
but I will say, I mean, at the time it was, it was awesome. <laughs> you know, it was a, they, it, I mean, they, they did a great job with, with what they were given to do. And again, it's a, it's entertainment. So one of the things I thought was interesting too, as I was doing my research is I guess your dad was like working fans in chat rooms on AOL back in the, in the nineties. Did you hear anything about that? I'm sorry. What was that question again? Yeah. So he was, he was in AOL chat rooms, like working. Oh yeah. Fans. Oh, oh, yeah. I, well, it's just, I mean, he might've been the first wrestler to like work fans on the internet in that format. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's why I tell people that social media was there before, you know, Twitter and Instagram and all this, the social media was in the AOL rooms. And I remember as a kid, I knew a lot of people that had those and uh you know a lot of people were in those and so he, he was very smart always ahead of the game he would have been the, the king of social media today the absolute guru of it he would have defined so many different standards like you said is when it comes to working people or whatever on social media and and so many of us do it today and so many of us have access to a platform where we can sort of influence uh what people see and what what is considered real and what is considered fake i would say a lot of wrestlers today are very good and uh even wwe the wwe is especially very good at working people on social media uh a lot of things people think are real that aren't so it's pretty interesting to see that well it's it's interesting right because it's like it's uh, where it originated from yeah so my dad invented social media thanks guys come again <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh uh, we all th- those of us old enough we certainly remember aol and uh, all this stuff that they were doing with wrestling it was pretty great that's uh that's how i uh discovered sunny in a bathing suit um <laughs> so uh, you know one of the things i want to ask you is you know tell everyone what you're up to now and what do you think the future looks like i mean do you do you sit there and say hey in 5 years i want to be doing this 10 years are you taking it week by week i mean what what do you want to be as you grow up in the business i mean do you do you know where you want to be in a few years do you have a, an ultimate goal in mind you know uh i got some good advice on my work and someone said um you know what's good about you is is you're not like all these other kids today that are just trying to be their favorite wrestler you know even though you kind of look like your dad and stuff you really are your own kind of guy so uh, I like to hear that I like when people see that I have my own natural charisma so I just want to be myself I want to continue to be myself and as far as where I'm going to be I can't say for sure because, you know, I've always been told it's not, you don't have a choice on where you work. It's whoever comes with the greatest opportunity and whoever's going to give you a chance to shine, right? I can't just say tomorrow I'm going to go fill out an application for New Japan Pro Wrestling and they're going to sign me up. Um, But I can say, you know what? Uh, it would be a great honor to go wrestle with New Japan or, or it would be a great honor if Ring of Honor gave me a chance. You know what I mean? You can say that. You can't you can't decide where you're going to end up or if it's WWE or if I'm at MLW still because MLW is, you know, we're putting on really great wrestling there right now and I've still got two more years with them. So who's to say that our company doesn't get picked up by a bigger television, you know? So the wrestling landscape is huge right now. Uh, I think MLW is huge right now. I think uh, I think New Japan is cons- consistently putting on the best uh, in ring te- in ring product um, with Will Ospreay leading the charge there. 
Um, so that would be, everything would be good for me. I think everything would be, because everything would only make me better in development. I think it'd be good to go to Mexico maybe and do some lucha over there, you know, or, or do a hair match, you know, who knows. But uh, at the end of the day, I think we all want to end up at a company that values our health and our, and our well-being and gives us uh, enough dates that we can sustainably live. Absolutely. It's, it's wild watching this. This is Super Brawl 94. Here we are, uh, what, 25 years later. I mean, just some, uh, is it crazy that Dustin Rhodes maybe will end up having the best match in 2019? <laughs> and here he is 25 years ago. I mean, he, he, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Who were, uh, who are some of your favorite guys in the business right now? Uh, I think my favorite has always been Chris Jericho. Uh, you know, he's just always been a good, uh, a good inspiration for me as a younger kid, as well as in my older years, you know, I've always, always, uh, looked up to him and, uh, whether it's in my wrestling or, or just, and how he carries himself through an entrance ramp, you know, just every little thing, you know, so it's, it's, it's also a pleasure that meeting him has only, uh, benefited my career and he only only thing he does is respond as soon as he can to me he's only the best friend he can be um it's really great to have somebody like that in the business that you can count on have you had chance to meet or talk to uh vince mcmahon or triple h at all um i was told by my mother that triple h has changed my diapers as a child so um i'd imagine there's some some personal friendly stories that he can share with me <laughs> so, if, uh, if you but had, I have not met him but no okay. I have not met Triple H except when I was uh, I was a kid I did when I was like four or five I met him because I remember how big his biceps were and I remember meeting China so I remember meeting all those guys so I definitely uh, met Triple H as a kid and I hope I hope the story about him changing my diapers is true but if it is not it is okay I will still be, I'll still be nice to him when we meet. And I think he'll, I think he will like what he sees in me, but at the same time, I think he will want me to get down to business and work really hard and, and get better because that's what he does. He gets the most out of people and he pushes them to their next level. And that's what they're doing with NXT. That's why it's called NXT because it takes you to the next level. Um, but as far as Vince McMahon, um, that would definitely be a really cool meeting. It'd be a good time to meet him. I would thank him for everything he did for the memorial shows and for my family because of, because of Vince McMahon, uh, you know, we were able to have those shows as a kid and I was able to meet all the wrestlers and generate some money for my family. So Vince McMahon, I owe one. Um, I just hope, I just hope I'm certainly something that they are looking for. And, and I hope I'm not somebody they're not trying to, you know, I hope, I hope they like me, put it that way. Do you do you have any feeling like you need to go there versus an AEW or somewhere else just to finish off your father's legacy since he didn't get to be there long, or is that not something that's on your mind? No, you know, I, I uh, you know, I think I think uh, AEW is a more organic uh, move for me. I think uh, it would be it would be more fluid in my career. I don't want to say it would be easier to go to AEW because both are very high pressure situations and AEW could be a lot harder. You know, they might actually, they might actually take it a little bit easier on me at WWE and let me develop more where AEW, I might be going into the spotlight and, and having a lot of high pressure situations and maybe a little too soon. 
or or WWE could be better. So there's a lot of trade-offs. You know, AEW seems a little more organic for me right now because I do think I'm a, a I do think I'm a star that can add a lot to the company. Um, but at the same time, uh, who's to say that the better decision might not be to go to the WWE? At this point, like I said, referencing the question earlier, I don't have a choice. But there are pros and cons to both. But I do not have a choice. Um, but I think I think WWE is the place where you go to really mature and to really grow up and and, and start treating it like because you know you got to be at the performance center, uh, you know nine to five type of thing. So I think that would challenge me in that way, um, and that would be good for my career. But AEW would challenge me uh, by giving me more responsibility and, and more creative uh, responsibility over myself and where my career goes. So that would be a big challenge and a big growing moment as well. So what do you? As you think about your father's legacy in the business, you know, what do you think it is? Uh, and how do you well, want him to be remembered? Well, what, what he left behind was, was so big and such a, such a magnitude that even I can't, uh, you know, fathom it sometimes. So I, I, I think, I think his, his sort of his le- lesson to me is, is to really uh, give something every fiber of your being, you know what I mean? There, there's no shame in, uh, and giving your life for something, right? And uh, I think that's how people are remembered. And he works very, 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 very hard to be remembered um, and to be respected in, in a business like this. So the ultimate thing I can do and take from that is to make myself remembered as well. That way, when people remember me, they remember me for what I did. And then they remember me for what he did. And there's no mixed feelings about it. There's my career and then there's his career. So if anything I've learned from him and and what he said to Jericho was do something that no one's ever done before. So that's the legacy to me is to do something that no one's ever done before. That's that's some pretty damn good advice. And uh, for for the fans listening that want to really just follow your journey and, and see where it ends up and where it takes you, what's the best way for them to follow you online? Best way to follow me is Twitter at Flying Brian Jr. or on Instagram at Flying Brian Forty One. I don't do Facebook because you know I don't. Yeah, it's because you're in your twenties and people don't use Facebook anymore. <laughs> All right, well, hey, we uh, we appreciate you being here and uh, joining the show. Thank you so much. Absolutely, my friend. God bless you. God bless everybody for listening. Oh, it's time for the aftermath. As always, uh, gotta thank Brian Pillman Jr. for joining us. He's, man, you know, he's come a long way even since we last talked to him. He, he's just doing more and more out there. It's it's great to kind of have him, you know, back on the show and kind of be talking to him. And he's grinding out there. You, you absolutely can see him. MLW, um, you know, I know he's uh, was just did, uh, you know, Warrior Wrestling, but you know just a bunch of different things. And so check him out. Um, it's absolutely worth it if you haven't seen one of his matches lately. And so um, I just enjoyed this match a lot. Like I said, it's, I think I, I got a lot of enjoyment out of this because seeing, you know, so many of these, I say older superstars and, you know, kind of in there. And, and a lot of them, I say before they were really <laughs> so many character reinventions since, um, and part of why their longevity and why we still talk about some of these guys is because, you know, I, I think it was the undertaker that said it so long ago or Austin or whoever, like you have to keep reinventing yourself. And like William Regal, he's 
how many times has he reinvented himself? And so, you know, Matt Bloom, another one, you know, and that's these guys that are successful as they're able to adapt that way. And so it's just really fun for me to see some of these guys. And it was a great match too. Like you got to love some of the action in this one. It was fast and it was, you know, a lot happening. So I thought that was good. So Tom, what did you think of the payoff? Well, you mentioned William Regal reinventing himself. If you haven't seen his brief stint as, was it the man's man? Do you remember that? I do a little bit, yeah. Oh, my! I think it was a real man or the man's man, something like that. Go find it on YouTube. It's, I mean, you talk about wrestling being awesome and awful at the same time or whatever you said earlier. Yeah, it's, it's that. Um, oh, man, is it bad. But... First of all, Pillman Jr. is great. I, I agree. I can't wait to see what he does next. Here's the thing. Like, I, I'm telling you, man, like, and, and I, we could, look, there are guys that have come up through developmental in the WWE and done quite well for themselves. But there's also a lot of phenomenal athletes that could have been big stars that just got, like, shit gimmicks and didn't have the time or creativity or gimmick that they were given to be successful so I applaud him for kind of going out finding himself bouncing around to you know different shows different territories meeting different legends that's the way that you build your career and it's like you're better off making a name for yourself on your own uh, even if you got to be broke in your 20s to do it and then guess what you'll be worth a lot more when you know NXT WWE AEW come calling so He's doing it right, and I applaud him for that. Uh, you know, we talked briefly about Rick Rude. Again, um, my money says one of the most, if not the most underrated guys in the history of the business. That's how good he was. Go watch just some Rick Rude promos. Him and, and a handful of other guys back in the 80s are some of the best guys ever. And because titles weren't flip-flopped so much, they weren't world champions. But trust me, they were phenomenal. Um, Hollywood Blondes, awesome. Glad we got to chat about that. The gun angle, man. I like forgot the fact that, oh, yeah, he was a kid and he was living in the house as this thing's taking place. Like, honey, go to your room. Um, there's going to be TV cameras here. Dad's going to get the shit beat out of him by uh, Uncle Steve. Um, there's going to be a gun unpulled uh yeah insane and then my favorite part of this conversation was the revelation of how uh pillman was working fans in aol chat rooms like that that's incredible like I, you just like you forget about that that was the beginning of the internet and like as far as wrestling you go to wwe you get or wwf then you go to their page you go in chat rooms that was my first like internet wrestling exposure you you know click download on a picture of sunny and it would load to be like her hair and then her forehead and her eyes and you just sit there patiently waiting for it to download it would take like 15 minutes you know i mean the good old days of the wrestling internet do you remember any of that were you on aol at all i for instant messenger i don't remember what my name was but i did that but i don't ever remember going into any of the chat rooms or anything like that because just but yeah like he was a troll before being a troll was a troll yeah and this was like dude this was like way before i am man like they had i am in there but this is like the old aol and like you wouldn't even go to the internet uh, you would go to like these aol like pages essentially and they function kind of like the internet i at one time had a screen name that was hbk nwo you needed those discs 
or whatever. Yeah. And oh, I yeah. even use it. Yep. Absolutely. I, I probably 70% of the people listening to this have no idea what we're talking about. So um, right. lo- yeah. lo- lo- look it up. So, all right. They have this crazy match. Uh, what happens after this for all six characters involved? Yeah. A bunch of different things here. So uh, won't go into a ton of detail on each of them, but we'll talk a little bit um, on all of them. So uh, Brian Pillman, of course, as Tom alluded to a little bit, he actually um, did a short stint in ECW, WCW. There was the, uh, as we talked about on the previous episode, him leaving and and going to WWF um, where he became the loose cannon, of course. And so uh, Tom alluding to some of this, uh, you know, kind of the, the anger that played out there um sting actually uh he would continue to feud as he said uh, throughout the year with uh rick rude like we touched on a little bit as well as uh rick flair um he would eventually actually team and this was you know far before nwo or hollywood or any of that stuff um sting would actually team with hulk hogan uh, and they would fight against, of course, uh, one of Hulk's uh, biggest nemesis, nemesis, if you will. Um, and of course, payoff favorite, one that we have discussed before, the Dungeon of Doom. Um, and so the two of them, uh, if Sting, interesting kind of feuds and what was happening there. Um, interesting too, uh, Dustin Rhodes part of the this match uh not you know too long after this one um he actually uh was a blade job during a show um from what i could find uh actually got him fired from wcw where he then ended up in wwf as gold dust and so um it's one i want to look into a little bit more in regards to how that played out i know uh dustin's a, a, a guest we'd love to get on here but he's uh you know he's gotten far busier than the first time we talked to him and so uh, uh you know being active in aew and still doing what he does and so but of course gold dust and even what he's doing now like just some of the you know really was great character work and so that led us to um that character and kind of what he did there uh i, I did i tried to look up this steve austin character i couldn't find a whole lot on him of course uh and so hopefully he's doing okay nowadays i haven't heard a whole lot about him but uh maybe he goes by some other name but of course uh Steve Austin uh, doing just fine nowadays. Uh, you know, pick what he's doing between his USA shows and uh, chugging Steve Weisers on reunions and whatever it might be. Of course, uh, extremely successful. Is the bl- uh, is the guy with the blonde hair in WCW? Is that the same? That's not the same Steve Austin from wwf is it you know what that is something that you and i will research so there was something on twitter if you saw it it was like how it was an anniversary i I guess it would have been god 25 years or something like that when kevin nash diesel beat bob backland for the title the quick you know power bra madison square garden and so i my my response to like the video was you know was this and i tagged uh, glenn jacobs i was like was this you know glenn jacobs or kevin nash right of course like five or six people immediately like oh you idiot like it was it was kevin nash like i don't know what like i try to be sarcastic sometimes on twitter and it just never 
I, I, here's what I think, all right? I think sometimes people are so amped up and angry and, like, looking to tell someone, like, they're a fucking idiot on Twitter that they, like, are constantly, like, just scrolling, finding something that, like, sets them off or is inaccurate or is wrong or pisses them off so they can, like, immediately fire back. I mean, is that, like, the definition of a troll? It's only if a certain uh, quote, and I and I know it's probably like the vocal minority, but it's like, how do you not know that's a joke? Like, I you know, I don't know. Maybe give me like an LOL or like you know, oh no, it was actually in like tag a third person or something. I don't know. Like, have some fun with it. Like, people just get so angry, and I'm like, do these people just walk around like all fucking angry like all day, like just like like steam coming out of their ears, like pissed off? They probably do, and then they probably like get pissed off about politics. Then they probably get pissed off at work i mean it's it's probably just the way people are wired but i'm like my god it's a joke i'm I'm making a sarcastic joke about pro wrestling like that's like the the thing you should take the least serious in this world is a joke about pro wrestling am i right or am i right it's real to me damn it i told you this like you know well and that's you know the quote you and i see it all the time but the quote-unquote wrestling journalists and you know some people out there you know making that claim and all this other stuff and you know you and i always joke in in our and our our shoot jobs like you know people calling themselves an expert when they uh are not an expert in any way shape or form and so yeah like it just ridiculous sometimes no no, people people decide they're gonna do something or talk about something or work in a certain area and so then they immediately call themselves an expert like i'm gonna start doing this uh uh, you know jim smith is an expert in like oh my god so here's the thing like for as quirky and weird as wcw in 1994 was i mean we are looking at a show with ddp mark marrow steve regal arn anderson mick foley the nasty boys sting brian pillman dustin Rhodes, steve austin rick rude paul orndorff rick flair and vader that's some talent yeah, yeah absolutely and like that's that's a good show i watched that show we did watch that show like yeah I mean, it, yeah, their 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 problem at this point was more of like the production sucked and the booking was bad. I mean, the talent was. I mean, hell, they probably. I mean, if you if you held this card up side by side with like WrestleMania ten, it's probably like equal on talent, which is like really hard to believe. Which at the time, who would think? But like now, yeah, like just cr- who who would have thought that Ric Flair had another twenty five years in the tank? Yeah, like oh, after yeah. The- but think about it, like Lex Luger, who was, you know, in the mix with a lot of these WCW guys, he's headlining WrestleMania 10 in like the co-main event. So just wild to think about. Um, yeah. All right. So good stuff. Let's talk about the write-ups. What did everyone have to say about this match? Well, one thing I do want to remind you of, too, as I was looking through this, is one thing that did come up in my research was uh, Orndorff, uh, you know, had had a long career to this point. Uh, He even feuded with Brian Pillman a little bit more in 1995. But something I did forget about was Orndorff actually helped run the WCW power plant. Do you remember the WCW power plant? Yeah, because, like, they this thing was in existence for like 10 years and goldberg was the only guy to come out of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> very few people and i was kind of looking up the list actually today because oh, yes, i gotta hear this this is good it, so for some people that aren't fully familiar with it that yes this was i i you know 
generously call this the the performance center before the performance center um but it really was a training ground for kind of wrestlers and kind of who went there i I saw though that some other interesting names on here like you said there were very very few that went through here but some of the people that did i hit i saw diamond dallas page was on this list uh, as well as kevin nash i don't know how much time they actually spent kind of working there but they both went through there um big show as well too was one that went through there so but interesting names but you know whether it was a, a pit stop or whatever it might have been yeah big um, show also- big show big show trained there for 10 days and then they put him on halloween havoc and he beat hogan for the title and right. like was green as grass yeah so yes i guess technically he trained in the warehouse with a he ring trained, a yes and so, and then uh, for women, some of the interesting names here, they actually, and I, this one we got to look into a little more, but they actually had Stacey Keebler as well as Tori Wilson both spend some time there. And so interesting. I, I need to look into it a little bit more, but yes. And so um, interesting, but just good stuff though. So that's where Stacey Keebler learned how to work five-star matches. Apparently. So like, that's what you get. And so, Hey, we can't shit on Stacey Keebler. I like, no, you know, but before, before she started training at the uh, power plant, her legs were only four feet long. Now they're, now they're six feet. (laughs) Yeah, they really are. She is a tall woman, but all right. So, Talking about the write-ups a little bit here, like Tom and I said, um, I won't get. Uh, we we got a little bit from everybody here. I'll start with the Pro Wrestling Torch gave this one three and a quarter stars. You had the Wrestling Observer gave this four and a quarter stars. Um, Tom said it a little bit here, but I do want to write that kind of the, the write-up and part of what the Torch was saying that kind of Tom was discussing earlier. So. In a big surprise for WCW, the Albany Civic Center, which Albany's in the way southern Georgia, middle of nowhere, like so, like, yeah, middle of nowhere out here. But the Albany Civic Center attracted a turnaway crowd. WCW officials had no way of knowing how many fans would take advantage of the thousands of tickets given away. In fact, WCW had taped off half of the arena. When half of the arena filled and there were still thousands of fans filing in, they had to open up the entire 9,000-seat arena except for a few hundred seats behind the stage and lighting equipment. An estimated 2,500 pay for their tickets. A few years ago, WCW drew fewer than 500 fans for television taping in the same building. Imagine showing up to like a wrestling show nowadays and there's just like 500 people. Like that's it. You're just sitting around, nothing happening. So um, this time around, WCW had billboards all over town and flooded the area with radio and TV publicity. Albany had been dry market for wrestling for a couple of years. And so here, getting into what you and I were talking about earlier, WCW was part of a, quote, tickets for guns exchange program leading into Super Brawl. Incredible. Guns for Gifts out of Albany, Georgia, offered four tickets to Super Brawl or a music pack the day of Super Brawl from 9 to 6 p.m. I got to look and see what the music back was, but uh, there were PSAs all over television and radio and a story, of course, big news here, a story on the front page of the Albany Herald. I'm guessing you're not a frequent reader of the Albany Herald, so um, we would have missed out at the time, but plus I was two yeah whatever so uh 300 guns were traded in and immediately melted down (laughs) so 
to kind of give you an idea, they have four tickets out to, you know, nowadays to have an event like maybe that's what it takes. Maybe that, maybe that's the solution for gun violence in America. Jeff, Jeff, we don't get political on this show, but this is like literally probably the best idea I've heard for like gun control in my life. Like, is this exchange like no one in 30 years has come up with anything better than what they did in Albany, New York in exchange for four wrestling tickets? Albany, Georgia. That's the Albany, Georgia. That's right. Right. We can't even get it. Like that's the thing. Like I get it. It's, it's divisive, but Hey, I think we can all get behind like WCW knew what they were doing. Incredible. Incredible. Yep. And so I, I'm a fan of that. So uh, the, that was kind of the, like I said, the, the pro wrestling torch, the kind of write up from the wrestling observer newsletter here, just to, you know, for those of you that don't have time to, to watch the match or are unable to that, Sting and Brian Pillman and Dustin Rhodes beat Rick Rude and Steve Austin and Paul Orndorff in 1436 of the first Thunder Cage main event match where Pillman pinned Austin after Sting pressed Pillman and threw him into Austin. Austin was the best wrestler on the show, and this was an excellent match from start to finish. Sting whipped Austin twice hard into the cage. Pillman tagged in and took a hot shot into the cage juiced and was hit with a knee drop off the top rope by rude at one point austin came off the top rope and pillman got caught and pillman got up and caught him with a drop kick another big spot with Rhodes going for a bulldog on rude but rude blocked it and dropped Rhodes on the ring post and followed it with a backward suplex Orndorff was also juiced. The highlight was Austin on the apron and Rhodes need him and he took a bump and pretty much crotched himself on the cage. After the match, Rude slammed the door on Sting's hand and left him laying with a rude awakening to set up their match on the next pay-per-view show. Uh, unfortunately, this match was not on Grapple. That would have been a fun one to kind of see uh, what the fans are thinking, but it was not on there. So, Tom... Three and a three and a quarter, four and a quarter. Positive things here. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I'll, I'll just jump right into my payoff score. I mean, we obviously covered this match. Yeah, man, I I don't know. I maybe it was better in its time. I, this is one of those that has not aged well. I think a lot of what we watched has aged really well. And maybe I looked through it through the lens, but or the wrong lens. But you know what? It's our show. It's our payoff score. So I've got this at a five, right? I mean, there wasn't this massive build, so it's like, all right, if we're gonna do this big blow off match and have this big, you know, stipulation, eh, let's have a little bit more reason to be in it versus okay, well, we're just going to do this cage match for the final two shows. So it just was like more – I don't like – and, of course, this happens all the time in wrestling now. I mean, it's like the WWE pay-per-view calendar. But everything's like, oh, well, it's time for Hell in a Cell. So these two guys, let's put them in there. I like when stipulations are done as blow-offs, not done because it's that time of the year. And I just – you know, it was like the first time when NXT reintroduced – um war games it was like all right i don't know what to do with these eight guys so we're bringing back war games that's awesome now it's like oh we know that the night before survivor series we're gonna find four on one team four on another team and it's just gonna happen i like when it happens as a blow off and organically so again not a major payoff or i'm sorry not a major build to this um i thought the actual match was pretty solid but again i'm i'm i got this thing at a five man i agree with me disagree with me what do you think yeah i, I went a little bit higher um i went with a six and a half I, just because i liked i liked who was in the match um you know it's hard to overlook 
just kind of where these guys ended up at a certain point. Um, yeah, because and the match was fast paced, so probably maybe six point seven five. But uh, you know, so I'll, I'll go six point seven five because the ma- any longer, and I think I, you know it would have been tough, um, especially after the, the previous match to this one and how the card was laid out was that thirty minute match. But I think with this one, it was paced well. It, it didn't seem like too many guys, you know, good, not great, um, but I was still entertained. I, I am glad, I will say this, that the uh, – I'm glad we have found better alternatives to the Thunder Cage, or at least, you know, if it's used right, be it in AAA or whatever it might be for some of the, those types of matches where it might be a little bit more high-flying and getting out the top and things like that. I feel like Lucha Underground did it once too, but I'd have to look it up. But um, – you know, so that was good stuff, but I am glad we have like war games, hell in a cell. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, this is definitely better than what was at the uh, Punjab prison. Um, and Punjabi. So, yeah. yeah. And so we, we can definitely get rid of that one uh, and maybe bring this one back. Who knows? You know, give it a reason. And so uh, give the, give the fiend and a ring to wrestle in for whatever nonsense. So, um, yeah, like I said, 6.75, I, I was entertained. So, and sometimes in wrestling, that's just kind of what you want watching this one. So, um, Tom, any final thoughts on this match? No, man, fun, fun, uh, show to finish up the year and, uh, fun guys in it. Cool hearing from Pillman Jr. Make sure to give him a follow. Jeff, you can drop his uh, social media handles. But, man, I I, I just want to say thank you for an awesome year. Great guests, great shows. We covered a hell of a lot of ground. I hope that we've continued to get better at this, and, and we look forward to an awesome 2020. Thank you all for supporting the show. Yeah, what do you have, absolutely. Jeff? Absolutely. And, you know, again, thanks to our fans. Like, you know, we, we, we have some that the love interacting with us and we love interacting back as well too. And, um, you know, and we know like sometimes, you know, sometimes people aren't a fan of every episode and that's okay. And so, um, cause we're going to bring you another one as soon as we can with some new guests and some new info right after that. And we're, we're trying to bring you that content that maybe you're not hearing somewhere else and, and offer something a little different. And so, um, as Tom already, you know, said it, thanks to Brian Pillman jr. Uh, great to kind of have him back on the show. And like, uh, you know, he said, and we've said before, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram, uh, at flying Brian jr. He's very active on Twitter. So make sure to check that out. Uh, I see him engaging quite a bit, kind of current events and all that good stuff. So uh, make sure to check that out. And then just like we start the show, I always end the show with those reminders. Subscribe to the payoff. Give us those five stars. Spread the word about the show. And we're always checking that social media at payoff pod. So, Tom, uh, why, why don't you give us a, a real man's man's uh, close to uh, close out 2019 for the payoff? Well, Jeff, maybe it's the holidays. Maybe it's the end of our first year doing this podcast. For some reason, I'm feeling sentimental. So I'm going to hand the baton to you, and I'd like for you to close us out for the first time in the history of the payoff. And, And, folks, we are on video call. He is getting teary eyed right now. I am, I, I, if I had tissues close my friend, like this is uh wow. What do you, Christmas came early. Thank you, Santa. So don't, don't fuck it up. Uh, I, I, I can't fuck it up now. Now I, I've been put on the spot. Here we go. So as always, thank you for joining us on the payoff. <laughs>